As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. In this series, C.S. Lewis expert Professor Alistair McGrath is delving into the Space Trilogy, arguably one of Lewis's lesser-known works of fiction. We'll be exploring the three books in the trilogy, Out of the Silent Planet, Perilandra and That Hideous Strength. Alistair, let's take a look at some of the theology within Perilandra. You mentioned in a sort of previous episode that one of the key themes in this book is supposing the fall never happened. I guess before we look at Perilandra specifically, do we know much about Lewis's understanding of the fall, what what he thought about it? Well, Lewis tends to take what I, I think we call probably a fairly traditional understanding of this, uh, which goes back to Augustine, that in effect, that, that something has gone wrong, not simply with us, but with the world. And Lewis actually tends not to really focus on um, the fall of a natural world. He's more interested in what's gone wrong with us. But in this novel, I think he really is is able to do some mental experiments, if you like, in other words, to get us to think thoughts, which... Um, might not be definitive, but help us to kind of work out what the issues are. So how does he then use Perilandra as this kind of imagining of what the Earth could look like without the fall? Well, I think one of the things you're you're struck by is as you enter Perilandra, it, it seems to be a world where certain things that we are used to don't really seem to happen. Um, for example, um, there's not really very much talk about death or pain or... Um, anything like that, or indeed, you know, weapons. You know, it, it's a it is clearly a society, a world which is rather different from our own. And what Lewis Anger is is saying, well, how did they come to be like that? Or better, how did our world come to be so different? And also, what is the agency that brought the sabbat? Um, and that that is a very important point for Lewis because really, one of the questions he wants to explore is: suppose there is a world in which there is no fall. How might a fall happen? Does it have to happen? Uh, and these are these are questions which theologians have debated. And I will tell you, there is a significant range of options here. And Lewis, I think, isn't really placing himself on the map of possibilities here. It's much more just opening up the questions for reflection. 
And so you've definitely kind of touched on this, but but why does he want to create this supposal for his readers? And is there a particular reason that he chooses this method with which to do it, do you think? Well, I think it, it gives his readers a sort of imaginative play space, if you like, to, to begin to think these things through. And I think that uh, Lewis is, 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 rather than sort of indulge in abstract hypothetical speculation, Lewis is really saying, let's, let's tell a story and just use the story's framework as a way of thinking these things through. Is, is Lewis trying to make a religious point when he's talking about the, the longing, in inverted commas, that Ransom seems to experience in Perilandra? I mean, there's, there's various moments when he's talking about the smells of the forest and he says, they created a new kind of hunger and thirst, a longing that seemed to flow over from the body into the soul and which was a heaven to feel. I mean, what's Lewis trying to convey with some of this imagery? Well, this has been a sort of theme in Lewis's writings, in fact, ever since from The Pilgrim's Regress, where you'll remember the Pilgrim has this strange sense of longing for something. He isn't quite sure what it is, but he tends to focus on this mysterious island that seems to lie well beyond his reach initially, and then he gradually travels to find it. And, and a similar theme is here. For Lewis, the idea of longing is really very significant because it, it in effect is telling us who we are and what we're really looking for. And it occurs in an awful lot of his writings. It occurs in Pilgrim's Regress, which is his first working. It occurs in Till We Have Faces, which is a very late work. So we find this right throughout his literary output, and we see it here in Perilandra. I mean, yeah, one of the things I kept sort of noting down in my margin was that quote from Mere Christianity, if I find myself in, in myself a desire which nothing else in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I was sort of writing that almost constantly through this. I mean, is is that because Ransom is a Christian, do you think? Or would he have used this kind of literary device regardless of, of where Ransom stood sort of on the religious spectrum? Well, I think Ransom um, is indeed a Christian, but I think Lewis is saying this is a general phenomenon. He's certainly saying in, for example, mere Christianity, this is something that applies to uh, just about everybody. But in Perilandra, he seems to be taking it one stage further and saying this is, some, this is something that actually <laughs> is not simply limited to planet Earth, if I can put it like this. Uh, and it seems to almost like God is the one who's able to satisfy the deep sense of longing in every creature in the cosmos. So it, it's quite an ambitious extension of Lewis's general program. And I think in, in many ways, again, it just brings out how Lewis finds himself most at home when he's able to tell a story to try and make an otherwise rather abstract theological point. I mean, the quote you gave us from uh, Mere Christianity is, is a very nice quote indeed, but um, it's a little bit abstract. And, and Lewis tells a story here, which allows us to kind of get the imp see what it's all about. Now, and one of the sort of themes that Lewis explores quite a lot in this is the concept of free will. How does he explore that concept? And what are some of the insights that Lewis would like his readers to take from that? Well, I think one of the questions that is being raised here is uh, whether free will is, is, is something that really exists. So, and if so, um, whether we exercising our freedom can do certain things which cause us to lose that freedom. Now, again, it's a classic theme in the fall, and Lewis is kind of way playing around with it here, because I think that, you know, there are various things that are happening. I mean, Perilandra, kind of where the mood gets 
Well, it gets really rather dark as the narrative proceeds. And one of the questions you ask is, what's going on here? Um, uh, and and one, of the, one of the themes that's emerging here is something has gone wrong or is going wrong. And the question, therefore, is have we, has, have we or has Ransom or somebody else done something which in some way has shifted the whole dynamic? And that, that's a theme that I think Lewis finds really quite troubling, that, that we do things which have a much bigger impact than we realize. That's a theme he does explore as we go along. I think one of the questions which um, really intrigues me is the way in which, um, uh, if I can put that, people, people seem to become almost possessed by something that means that they do things which perhaps they wouldn't normally do. And again, you know, what we may be seeing here is Lewis personifying perhaps the idea of evil or perhaps better, the idea of sin. Because again, if you think of the Chronicles of Narnia, where Lewis takes us a stage further, um, you know, used to scrub in, in the Voyage of the Dawn Treader, comes to personify the idea of sin because he's taken over by it and he can't break free from it. Again, this may well be a prototype or an experimental reflection on this in Perilandra. I guess tied up with free will, uh, some of the ideas around kind of obedience, submission, and again, they seem to be sort of fairly prominent themes in Perilandra and I guess the trilogy as a whole, w was Lewis sharing some of his own thoughts on these topics or was he sort of expressing other people's views at the time around obedience, submission, things like that, Alistair? I think one of, one of the questions the scholars always ask is when Lewis has throwaway lines and whether actually the throwaway line is actually a reference to uh, a prominent writer who would have been familiar to his readership at the time but who has long since been forgotten because Lewis doesn't identify these people. He, he kind of way uh, here, and particularly I have to say in that hideous strength, he is clearly um, uh, engaging in social criticism, uh, making comments about views which would have been familiar to his readers. And we have to do an awful lot of historical reconstruction to try and work out what this is. And the problem is, as we try and do that, we lose the force of the narrative. In other words, we, we kind of we don't read it with this um, intuitive system of beliefs that would have been there for his earlier readers. So I think it, it is a slight difficulty in Perilandra. It's a very big difficulty in that hideous strength where... Frankly, a lot, a lot of what's going on there doesn't really make sense to us because we are too historically distant from the social situation that Lewis is critiquing. Before we rejoin the rest of today's podcast, I have a very special offer for you to help you have an even more meaningful spiritual experience this Easter. As you know, N.T. Wright is without doubt one of the greatest Christian thinkers and apologists of our time, and some of Tom Wright's answers to questions about Jesus' death, resurrection and return are some of the most poignant and thought-provoking. That's why we've created a brand new downloadable devotional resource that's perfect for the Easter season featuring these questions and Tom's answers. This five-day devotional journey titled Jesus' death, resurrection and return is only available to friends like you as our thanks for your gift today. And remember, your support is truly critical to help keep resources and podcasts like Ask Inti Write Anything and Unbelievable going strong because this ministry is completely funded by friends like you. So please give the very best gift you can today and make sure to download your copy of Jesus' death, resurrection and return devotional 
at premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. That's premierinsight.org forward slash C.S. Lewis. Thank you. So there's a couple of lines that are said by the Green Lady that I might read you if you don't mind, Alistair, because I think these were things where I was trying to figure out whether it was what Lewis was saying or whether it was kind of, you know, him critiquing a a particular view. He says um, in the mouth of the Green Lady, I am his beast, talking about God, and all of his biddings are joys. And then elsewhere she says, where can you taste the joy of obeying unless he bids you do something for which his bidding is the only reason? And I guess in my mind, I was thinking, do these things, the things that she's saying, not make God seem, I guess, at best arbitrary if there's no reason for for the bidding? Um, or, or I suppose at worst, derogatory if she's calling herself a beast in in light of God? I mean, was Lewis sort of critiquing through some of these things or or is that how he thinks about God we're his beasts and um, we do things just because he says that we should well I think what Lewis is doing here is playing around with some traditional theological debates for example one that became prominent in the middle ages and let's remember Lewis was a medievalist so this would have been you know very very familiar with him is whether something is good because God has said it is so whether it is good intrinsically, and yet God has made that. So in effect, there are two different ways, not necessarily inconsistent, that can be used to help us think about whether something is good or right. And Lewis here is, is expla- exploring this, really. Um, his bidding is a joy. Well, basically, um, Lewis there is, is opting towards the view, what's sometimes called voluntarism, that in effect what God wants is by definition good. But actually in what the Green Lady is saying, you can also see this hint, well look, um, maybe um, I do this and in doing it, I find it to be joyful. In other words, that um, by initially following God's will, I discover that what I'm being asked to do actually <laughs> really works. That, that actually, if I hadn't been told to do this, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have made this discovery that it is so good. So Lewis, again, I think, is almost saying to his readers, let's just think this through. Let's play with this and see where it takes us. The language about beast, I think, is interesting because, again, Lewis is picking up on the medieval theme, which is the so-called bestiaries, um, uh, catalogues of beasts who are not seen as evil, but rather this is the rich fecundity of God's creation. And all of us fit into that position, into that um, broad picture at some point and in some way. And I suppose one thing she does say, which which in some ways feels a little bit more positive, is that she says, how can we not obey what we love? I mean, is that something that Lewis would have, is that sort of portraying Lewis's view? How can we not obey what we love? Yes, that, that, that is one of Lewis's insights. He talks about love in this way. He also talks about beauty in this way, that actually love and beauty in their different ways attract us. They are things which we do not simply observe, we participate in them. And that, that's a very, very important idea for Lewis, who regularly critiqued simply rational ways of thinking about faith or or engaging the world he's saying no 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 we are being invited to join something wonderful to take part in it and of course right at the end of Paralander we have this dance which is not simply something beautiful in itself but something we're invited to 
take part in. So there are some very interesting ideas here. We don't just observe the natural world, we take part in it and thus, thus discover its significance as God's creation. And love is, is something that is explored quite a lot in the book, I suppose, both for God and for others. I mean, were there particular things, uh, particular key thoughts that Lewis is trying to convey about love in Perilandra and I suppose the Space Trilogy as a whole, do you think? Well, I think it, it, Perilandra is perhaps the one of these three novels where love is explored in most detail and i think one of the points that lewis is trying to make is that it's very difficult to imagine a world without love that in effect this is this is part of who we are and again this is a kind of mental playground we were being invited to explore the difference that love makes and one of the techniques that lewis uses is is, is that defamiliarization where in fact he um, almost makes us rethink things either by um, omitting to mention them or by presenting them in new ways. And it's a very good way of just having us to think through how important these things are. Well, and he, he says again in the, in the words of the Green Lady, how could anyone love anything more? It's like saying a thing could be bigger than itself. I mean, she's using that in a kind of earthly reference point. But is that something that Lewis is suggesting that we could perhaps be using about God as well? Uh, or, or that God could be using for us? I think the Green Lady's words are, if you like, mapping on a pathway. And the pathway isn't really followed very much, but it's there, and you can follow it through and see where it takes you. And again, it's all about this idea of imaginative exploration. You know, let's just follow this through and see where it takes us. And Lewis very often doesn't take it to follow through and leaves us to do this in our own time, so to speak. Now, Alistair, there's some pretty complicated kind of theological discourses throughout, um, I guess, sort of as the novel goes on. What are some of these fundamental points of disagreement between Western and Ransom in their theological discourses? And I suppose significantly, is there anything in particular that Lewis is really wanting the reader to take away from these discussions? Well, I think there are a number of points. Let, let, me, let me mention one of them, which I think does stand out. I mean, I think that um, one of the issues is the nature of truth, if I can put it like that. And um, Western, um, Western is presented as someone who perhaps tells part of the truth, but not all of the truth. And one, one of the things that Lewis Eng is trying to bring out is that... Um, a, a partial, in the sense of not complete account of things, um, really is, um, how shall I put it, it's simply not good enough. That actually it, it opens the doorways to all kinds of unhelpful ways of thinking. And therefore you need to think about how you know the full truth and where that full truth is to be found. And again, for me, as I read this discussion, one of the questions that really comes to me is that very important theme in St. John's Gospel, where Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and life. In other words, I show definitively what this is like, not as abstract ideas, but by embodying what, what truth is and the difference it makes to life. And as I see um, Western Ransom reflecting on the nature of truth, I see emerging from that a very important question about whether it's good enough to simply have a have a small degree of access to it or whether you need to see it fully to appreciate what it's really all about. 
What are some of the other big points of discussion where they disagree and have these big, long discourses about? And I suppose are, are some of them more important than others? Obviously, you've touched on truth, which is really important. But are there other things that for Lewis were really significant? Well, I think one of the themes that emerges throughout the Space Trilogy, and particularly I have to say in The Hideous Strength, but it's here too, is basically... Um, whether we respect something for what it is or for what we think we can do with it, it, it's kind of material advantage to us. And obviously, one of the questions that is being discussed here is whether, in effect, um, how shall I put it like this, uh, we can exploit Paralandra for our own ends or whether we need to appreciate for what it is and kind of we respect that. And we find Ransom inclining towards the latter and, of course, Western towards the former. And I think one of the real difficulties here is that um, I think uh, in Lewis's day and age, that would be an interesting academic discussion, but did not have quite the same uh, force it now does for us, where we've begun to see, in effect, where the lines of um, reflection that... Um, western is developing actually have led us to some very bad places so i think there is a sense which we we now can more easily see the merits of the concerns that lewis is expressing here which might not have been fully aware at the time thank you for listening to the c.s lewis podcast with me ruth jackson discover more about lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com where you can also find lots of great articles resources and podcasts and do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.